sermon text this morning is Leviticus 7, verses 1 through 7, uh, 1 through 10, excuse me. <clears throat> Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering, and its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priests who make atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us a Lord's Day each week to come before you, to praise you, to honor you, and to learn from your word. Lord, we, we pray as we consider the trespass offering this morning, picture of sanctification that you would help us to examine ourselves to understand where we fall short understand the areas where we should repent we pray lord that you would give dan stamina this morning as he preaches your word that he would preach it as you have it that he would preach um, only the truth that you have here we pray that each of us would listen attentively that we would block out the distractions in our lives in our minds, and that we would focus on you. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. So as we have been considering the priest's role in the offerings, their duty to do the offerings every day, whether it was the burnt sacrifice in the morning and evening, or whether it was the grain offering that had to be given with the, the burnt sacrifice, you see it from the priest's perspective after God first gave it in the first five chapters in the beginning of the sixth related to the, the person that was giving the offering. And now God's going through and relating it from the, pers- from the perspective of the priest. So you see the picture of them having to do the burnt offering morning and evening, the picture of them having to keep it burned, burning continually before the Lord. So people can understand the judgment of hell that is to come. This is the duty of the church. This is the duty of the priests of God is to make sure people understand there is a hell. There will be eternal judgment for those who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those who are not changed, those who are not transformed by the righteousness of God, so that they walk in righteousness and truth. Then also the grain offering that was to be made morning by and evening. The whole that shall be confu- consumed by fire. The picture of the, of the price that, that, that Christ bore, the cost that he bore, so that those who believe in his word can be saved. 
And then in 6, chapter 6, it switched and started to talk about it from the priest's perspective. Sin offering is declared that the sin offerings will be brought into the presence of God, whether for the anointed priest or for the congregation of Israel. If it was for them, if it was those that were saved, it was not to be consumed. The picture of those who had truly been delivered, those who were truly saved. But for the priest, for those where it was for the common person or for the ruler, they were to eat it, they were blessed by it. This picture that even when the person who makes the turns from their sin, they think they've been saved, that there is still a real blessing to those who have been saved. Even though they still receive the judgment of God, even though they weren't truly saved by the sin offering, and they received the judgment of God, they are not brought into the Holy of Holies. The, the blood is not sprinkled on the veil for them. The priests would eat it because they are still the ones that receive the blessing. The true, the true priests are blessed by professions of faith. Even the ones that don't result in the professions, or excuse me, result in the salvations of those people. The church is strengthened by those like the parable of the ten virgins where you have the five who did not have oil. They all had the sin offering, but five of them were like the common people and five were like priests. Fives were actually had salvation, justification from God, and five did not. But the whole body was strengthened by those who made false professions because more people walked in holiness, more people walked in righteousness. The church is still strengthened by those who turn from evil. When they, when they aren't truly saved, when their heart is not a heart of flesh, when they don't have the Holy Spirit abiding in them, it's still a blessing for the priests. And now we come to this passage that describes the blessing of the priest for other offerings, for the trespass offering, for the burn offering, for the grain offering. As I said before, I think the trespass offering is a picture of sanctification. The sin offering is a picture of justification, of being saved. The, the trespass offering is a picture of being cleansed from your sins. This is the burnt offering. It's a picture of substitutionary atonement that Christ had to die in our place in order for us to be saved. And the grain offering is a picture of the word of God. So each of those, even for, if they're brought by people who aren't saved, even if they are, are brought by people who are not reconciled to God, the ones that are blessed by it is the church. All things work together for good to those who, are, who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. All of them, the people who turn from their sins, it's still a blessing to the church. The people, when you preach the, the Christ and him crucified, it's still a blessing to you, even if the people aren't saved, even if the people aren't changed. They're real blessings to you from it. And even when the unbeliever turns from his sin, it's still a blessing to the church. And God blesses the church through that turning of sin. So let's consider how each of these becomes a blessing to the priest. So verses 1 through 5. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. He shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. 
So the first word that starts with is likewise. So it's comparing the trespass offering to the sin offering that was just described immediately before. And as I said, I think the sin offering is a picture of, of salvation, of justification. And the trespass offering is a picture of sanctification. And so with this likewise, God is tying them very closely together. Both of them can be offered by non-priests. Somebody can make a profession of faith. It's not a real profession of faith. And people, <coughs> but people can also repent of their particular sins. Saying they're repenting of them, believing in God, but the reality is they're just turning from their sins. They're being cleansed from their sins without repenting unto salvation. So when the believer repentance unto salvation follows the practice of repenting of particular sins particularly. You have to repent in order to be saved. You have to repent from thinking of yourself as God and treating Jesus as Lord. Saying, not my way, but your way, Lord. You have to do that. You have to believe that in order to be saved. But from that, as you're confronted in various sins, you say, not my way, Lord, but your way. And you turn from those particular sins. So the two offerings are both about turning from sin. One is turning from sin so you have access to the Holy of Holies, and the other is turning from sin because you have Jesus as Lord. And he's instructing you to turn from your sin. But for the unbeliever, the profession of faith or the repentance from certain particular sins, those things can happen in any order. But there's still a real blessing to the true priests of God, to the true people of God. So likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. God has already given them the details of how they're supposed to do it, to how the people are to make the sacrifice, how they're supposed to, where they're supposed to do it, how they're supposed to cut it up, all those things. And so now he's giving a commandment not to the people in general, but to the sons of Abraham, excuse me, the sons of Aaron. This is how you do the trespass offering. This is how your role in the trespass offering. So where he had given commandments for the offerer, the person making the offering, now he gives commandments to the person, the priest, who is to direct the offering. And how they're blessed through that offering. Again, it's important to recognize that throughout this is a blessing to the priest. A blessing to the priest because they make these offerings. So after saying this is the commandment of the trespass offering, it, it makes the comment, it is most holy. This hasn't been used for that many offerings. At this point, I believe it's only been used for the sin offering and the grain offering. And the, the Hebrew is that it's holy, holy, just like the holy, holy place, or just like the holy, holy altar burnt offering, that to give emphasis to how holy it is, the word is repeated in the Hebrew. So before talking about the blessings to the priest, the one who the only one that was called the most holy offering, like the grain offering or the, or, the, or the sin offering. It's about producing a holy people. It's about holiness. The word of God is about holiness. The sin offering is about taking a people into the holy place. It's about making a holy, righteous people. And here the trespass offering is also called the, the most holy offering. Probably because just like the sin offering, the trespass offering is, is about making a holy people to the Lord, a people that are set apart, a people that aren't like the rest of the world, but a people that are different from the world. 
So first, through the likewise, it's tying it to the passage that went before, which was about the sin offering. And now it says to kill it in the place of the burn offering. So it's connecting it to the, to the burn offering. Places were very significant. They were called to, to do the offerings in very particular places. If it was a bullock for the burn offering, it was to be the west of the altar, between the, the altar burn offering and the tabernacle. If it was a, a member of the flock, it was to be north of it. It would be the, between that and the temple courtyard still, but it would be to the north of the altar burn offering. And the birds were to be sacrificed in a particular place. Now it says, for this offering, for the trespass offering, you need to make sure you kill it where the burnt offering is killed. And so by killing the trespass offering and the burnt offering in the same place, it's, it's pointing out that the only reason that you can be cleansed of sin, the only reason is because of the burnt offering of Christ. It's because he was your substitute. He took the punishment upon himself so that you could be made holy. And so there is no trespass offering without a burnt offering, without Christ being the burnt offering, about him taking the judgment that was due us. That's why we can be cleansed from sin, and that's why we will be cleansed of sin. Not may be, but will be cleansed of sin. That's why there's a promise in Romans 8 that whoever he begins a good work in you, he will finish it. He will sanctify you. He will justify you. He will glorify you. He will make you like his son because of the burnt offering of Christ, because he was the substitutionary atonement. So it would be killed in the same location to remind us the two are not separate, the two are very connected together. So where they killed the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And recognize this, it's really easy for us to think about the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of salvation that we have to turn from our sin, that we have to think of Jesus as our Lord. And that's very easy to get complacent. And you see this in churches all the time where people are complacent. They don't see the seriousness of continuing to be cleansed from sin. But the sacrifice that was required to make you right with God, the sacrifice that was required to bring you to the veil so that the blood that was sprinkled so that you could enter into the Holy of Holies, that's the same sacrifice that's required so for you to be cleansed. Don't think that somehow the idea of sanctification, that justification is so important and sanctification isn't that important. God is saying they're the same. The sacrifice is the same. The importance is the same. Way too often the church wants to look towards justification. They want to want to preach people to believe in Jesus and then they stop saying, therefore turn from your sin. Jesus doesn't separate them. God's word doesn't separate them. He connects them together. They both require blood to be shed. They're both to be taken serious. They're both to be dealt with and not just say it's not that big of a deal. God considered a big enough of a deal that you had to go kill an animal so that you could be cleansed of sin, just like you had to be kill an animal so that you could be reconciled to the Father. Don't take dealing with sin slightly or th- consider it of less important. The fact that, that a animal had to die for the trespass offering that should remind us of how serious god is that we turn from our sin even as a believer that we are cleansing ourselves of sin that we are turning and walking in greater and greater righteousness it says you have to in the old covenant you had to die for that let's not think of it as a light thing in the new covenant 
Just like justification is about dying, sanctification is about dying as well. It's about putting your old man to death, to use the language of Romans 7. We all have an old man in us, the man of flesh, the carnal man, that when we're spiritually resurrected, when we're made alive in Christ through the sin offering, through his burn offering, then we have to actually work to put the man, old man to death. The man that's in our flesh, who desires to do something different than what we know we should do. We're not supposed to just passively sit back and think it's not a big deal. Instead, we're supposed to be actively working at it, which is why they had to kill the sin offering, why the blood had to be shed, why it had to be poured out. It wasn't because this was a minor thing. It was because God was stressing the level of seriousness of Christians dealing with their sin and not just continuing to walk in unrighteousness. So you had to kill the animal and you had to take its blood. Even as we are to make trespass offerings, even as we're to turn from our sin, even as we're cleansed from our sin, we're never supposed to think that this is by our work that we're able to do that. Galatians 3, 1 through 3 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? That's the picture of taking the blood from the trespass offering and putting it on the altar burnt offering. You're saying the only reason that I can turn from my sin, the only reason I can be cleansed is by the work of God and not by your own work. It's a testimony of that. It's because Christ was the burnt offering. That is why you can be cleansed of your sin. That is why you can have the power of sin broken in your life. So you are never supposed to say that, that, yes, I was saved by the Spirit of God and by the conviction of sin, but now I'm being cleansed by my own power. It simply isn't true, and that's what's portrayed by taking the blood and putting it upon the altar. Even those who are reconciled by... Sorry. We should also recognize that even those who are not reconciled to God, who haven't made a sin offering, when they make trespass offerings, it is because God sent his spirit into the world. It's so easy to forget that when Jesus Christ says, I'm going to send my spirit into the world, that he says to convict the world of sin. And that's the picture of the unbeliever making the trespass offering, that the blood is still put on the altar because it's still Christ's work that is cleansing the world of sin now. There's a reason why cannibalism is very rare now. It's because of the trespass offering of unbelievers. It's what God did in unbelievers to cause them to turn from their sin. It was still done by the blood of Christ. It was still because of the preaching of the gospel. When we see people turn from their sin, we should, be, we should recognize this is still because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That even when he doesn't save, even when he leaves people dead in their sins and trespasses, it's because of his mercy to convict the world of sin. It's because of his mercy to allow his trespass offering to cause them to turn from their sin. Not walking in a way that brings them into the holy of holies, but in a way that they turn from real sin. This is what God's been doing in the world for 2,000 years. This is what's so widely denied in the church. And it's just so blasphemous because Christ came to change the world. 
He didn't just come to save Christians. So he shall sprinkle it all around on the altar. You know, here it says all around the altar. When it was first declared in Leviticus 5, to the people who were to make the offering, he says something different. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. So when he would make that offering and they would collect the blood, it wasn't like the burn offering where they made a circle around the altar or the sin offering where they made a circle around the altar because that was the picture of Christ having separated us from the judgment. The trespass offering is not that picture. The trespass offering and the reason you just, the blood of every animal you put on the altar, but like the blood of a single animal doesn't need to go around the altar. But he's commanding the priest, when you take the blood of that trespass offering, it is to cover all the parts of the altar, but not one offering to cover the whole altar. So the picture is different. The picture is that all the cleansing is because of God. All the cleansing is because of the sacrifice of Christ. All the cleansing is because of the burnt offering. All the cleansing is because he was the trespass offering. But it's not about separation to make you holy. That's the sin offering. It's not about the substitutionary atonement, which they had to do the same thing with. Here, it's about testifying that it is by the blood of Christ that all sin is turned from. And so it's supposed the altar is covered with blood. According to Gill, I don't know if he's right or not, but they had a line around the, the altar. And when they would do trespass offerings, they would put the blood above the line. And if they did sin offerings and burn offerings, they would put the bl- blood below the line. So the point was that this was to be more visible, that you, you said, here's what the effect of, of believing in Christ was. It could be seen by the world, that it was really turning from sin. It was really about making a people that were different, a people that were being holy. And so the blood on the altar for the trespass offering is a different picture than the blood for a burnt offering. It's not about separating us from God. It's about declaring that Christ's sacrifice has a real effect in people's lives, that that sacrifice has a real sanctifying effect in the lives of believers and unbelievers. So the sprinkling it around, all around the altar isn't the picture making a circle. That's for different offerings. It's not about being separated from hell, but it's about sins being destroyed in our lives and the things that offend. And so he shall offer from it all its fat. This has been repeated many times, which means how important it is for us to understand this and how important it is for us to consider it. When God repeats something over and over again, it's not because he didn't know what to say. It's because we need to hear it over and over again. So when he says you have to burn the entrails of the animal, we keep having to remember that the trespass offering is effectual because it cleanses us in the inward parts, not the outward parts. He's not just looking for an outward transformation. The unbeliever that comes and he makes his trespass offering, he turns from his sin. He repents in a worldly sense. He stops doing the sin. That's good, but that isn't pleasing to God because he's not changed in the inward parts. It's easy to hate a sin for its outward effect. The drunkard that gets tired of getting drunk and waking up in the gutter every morning, covered with his own vomit, And he has one day where he goes, I'll go to Alcoholics Anonymous and stop drinking. That's the picture of the trespass offering where there was no cleansing in the inward parts. It's all he didn't like the outward effects. So he gets he changes the outward effects. 
But salvation is more than that. Salvation is changing the inward effects where you don't want to drink anymore. And yes, maybe you still drink, as Paul says in Romans 7. Maybe the old man, you, you come over, overcome and you do what you will not to do. But the heart has changed. If it's an effectual trespass offering, the heart, the inward parts are changed so that you don't want to do what Christ tells you not to do. So Christianity is what Paul writes in Romans 7, 15 and 16. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. What I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. God changes the mind of those who believe. He cleanses us in the inward parts. He takes a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. He then writes on that heart of flesh the law of God. So our will is to do what he has said for us to do. But yet there is another law in our members where we do things that we shouldn't do. But the trespass offering is not just the superficial of turning away. It's actually being cleansed from the inside so that we put the old man to death, so that we stop doing the sin that we know we shouldn't be doing. If Christ is our true trespass offering, we turn from sin from the inside out, not like the drunkard who turns from sin from the outside, in an outside turning from sin and just transforms it to a different type of sin. Instead of the sin of drunkenness, adopts the sin of pride, which is basically what Alcoholics Anonymous tries to do. That's not Christianity. Christianity is changing on the inward parts. So Christians turn from sin from the inside out. Our will is changed to hate the sin, which manifests itself in our having self-control, a fruit of the Spirit, so that we walk in the way that we're supposed to walk, so that we turn from the sin. But we turn from it because we've been cleansed in the inward parts, which shows itself by how we act in the outward parts. As opposed to the trespass offering, the unbeliever, who they just want to remove the effects of sin. But their heart towards that sin has not changed. The burning of the entrails is a blessing to the priests. Because when someone confesses their sin, and wants the the church to help them deal with their sin. It's to cleanse our inward parts. The unbeliever, the person who made a profession of faith but doesn't truly believe, when they come and they ask the church to help the bondage of sin be broken in their lives, and you call them to repentance, you call them to, to be cleansed in the inward parts, understand what God is doing. He's cleansing you in the inward parts. When we, when we deal with sin, and the church is to deal with sin, it's to deal with sin in others, it's to deal with the sin that are outside, it's to deal with the sin in the world. But every time we deal with the sin in the world, it is not for the world's sake. Because all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. The point is for the believers. So when you give that person advice, when you preach the gospel to them, you should recognize this is for you. For that person who you preach to that doesn't believe. When you deal with somebody's sin, when you confront them in sin so that they turn from their sin, they may not turn unto eternal life. They may not ever be saved. But yet you receive the blessing because it is about you being cleansed. Whenever you deal with somebody's sin, whenever you 
are confronted confronting somebody's sin, you know, Jesus Christ says, pull the plank out of your own eye before you pull the speck out of your brother's eye. The idea is whenever you deal with somebody else's trespass, a believer and unbeliever, it calls us to examine our inward parts. It calls us to examine how we fall into the same sin. And God uses that that trespasses that other people are turning from. You know, the... <coughs> the person that helps a drunkard stop being a drunkard. It's to remind them that self-control is a a fruit of the Spirit and it should turn them from gluttony and drunkenness and everything else where they don't have self-control. This is why the burning of the fat of the inward parts is to be a, a, a blessing to the priest because they see how they still need to be cleansed. They see how that sin that that person is still trapped in, how they are supposed to turn from it, how they are supposed to see it in their own lives. So they can be cleansed from it. It's very easy to see somebody else's sin and confront them in their sin, but we're blessed by it when we then go. But how do we do the same thing? Not necessarily to the same degree, but how do we do the same thing so that we can turn and be cleansed? The sin or the trespass offering that's made by an unbeliever is still a blessing to true priests because it confronts them in their propensity to sin and not just in the sin of the person that they're dealing with. So they were to burn the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails. Again, this is burning up what's perceived as a blessing, what's a useful thing, what they would be, they would greatly desire. Is they needed more fat in their diet. They needed oil to cook things. But they were to burn it up because it's produced by the, the effects of sin. And so they had to burn up that fat tail. Good things that accumulate but are related to unclean things. They can be real earth, real earthly blessings that are a result of sin. There's plenty of people who get wealthy because of the result of sin, but the church isn't to de- desire that wealth. It's to say that wealth is worth nothing because it comes from uncleanness rather than coming from cleanness. We're supposed to recognize the greater blessing of drawing near to God, that that's worth far more. Spiritual things are worth far more than any earthly blessing great blessing is to draw near to God and there's no earthly blessing that compares to that and they were to do the two kidneys the kidneys that pull the defiling of the body out of the blood so it can be passed out of the body and the fat that is on them by the flanks again the fat that gathers because it's it's related to the defilement to the things you know this picture of uncleanness this picture of of the filth that comes, that there can be real material blessings in this world. We're supposed to be willing to forsake those, desiring to forsake the blessings of sin in this world so that we can see the righteousness and the goodness of God's holiness. And the fat that is on them by the flanks, again, that fat that gathers around the kidneys and all those inward parts, and the fatty lobe that's attached to the liver above the kidneys, all of the fat that comes from the inward parts that deal with the filth that comes out of a man. As Jesus Christ said in Matthew 15, 10, 11, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. That's the picture. It's your inward parts. It's your sin that produces the fat, that produces earthly blessings in many ways. 
but we're supposed to be willing to sacrifice all of those to follow Christ because following Christ is so much better than any of the earthly blessings, right? I just got back from Nigeria. Three-quarters of the people in Nigeria think that the blessing of being a follower of Christ is you get more money. You get more money. And we all look and we go, no, no, no. But how much do we do the same thing? How much do we actually think, well, I kind of like the effects of my sin. I kind of like the way that it makes me feel. I kind of like the, the effects that it has in my life instead of burning them up and saying God has better things. That's the picture of the trespass offering and the sacrifice and burning up of these things is to say God's ways are better. It looks so good from an earthly perspective. That fat that you would so much like to have, from an earthly perspective, it looks so good that you have to be willing to say it should be burned up, that that's what's pleasing to God, and it's better to be pleasing to God than any earthly blessing you can receive. So all the temporal blessings of sin, it's a pleasing aroma to God when they are burned up. It's a pleasing aroma to his nostrils, as it says. It's a blessing to the church when they're burned up because then we can see the true goodness of the ways, the true ways of God. When you look towards earthly blessings, when you look towards the result of sin and says, that's good, the church can't be cleansed because it looks at those things and it says, that's good, when God says, burning it up is what's good. Burning it up is what is the pleasing aroma to him. So then we can see the true goodness of God rather than the shadows of goodness that sin produces in the world. For instance, a thief who thinks he's secured financially because he's a th- he steals, and he steals money to provide for himself. So he goes, I can always steal money. I can always be have everything I need. That's supposed to be destroyed so that you can have the true security of trusting in God who will give everything necessary to those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The thief who's trusting in his ways or the man who goes, I have to work 60 hours a week, otherwise I can never provide for my family. I have to work on the Sabbath. There's nothing else I can do. When that's burned up, that's when they can see the true <coughs> blessing of obeying God. That's when they can see how God strengthens, how God is the one who is our provider. He is the one that provides everything we need. So he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them. He shall remove them. So the person who's making the offering is the one that removes all these things, but the priest is to witness it. So he can see the destruction of the picture of sin. So the priest shall burn them on the altar so he can be reminded that this is what Christ came to do. 1 John 3, 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. This wasn't just to believers. He said he came to take away the sin of the whole world, to destroy the works of the devil. That's what Christ came for. So when we see this, when we see somebody turn from their sin, even an unbeliever, when we see them turn from their sin, it's to be an encouragement to the church, an encouragement for us to examine and see what our sins are, but also to look and say, this is what God's doing in the world, that God is constraining sin, that he is putting to death sin. And so when the priest burns them on the altars, he's to be reminded of the efficacy of Christ. It says, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Christ became the sacrifice so that sin would be destroyed. It's a trespass offering. It was an offering that was made because you either knowingly trust, knowingly 
trespassed against the commandments of God, refusing to believe them, hearing an oath and not doing anything about it, or for trespassing by doing things that you knew what was the right thing to do or that you should have known what the right thing to do was, like things that are associated with worship where you didn't bother to care what God wanted in your worship, so you just worshiped however you wanted. The trespass offering is for those things, those things where where you're not treating God as God. So all of it requires putting it to death. Verses 6 and 7. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. So it starts by saying every male among the priests. And so I think God is separating those who will become priests from those who will never be priests that are associated with the priests. Again, think of the parable of the ten virgins. Five have oil, five do not have oil. They're all in the same household. They're all in the same group or whatever you want to term you want to use. But five don't. They never will be cleansed. I think this is the same picture that God is drawing here. In the households of Aaron, half of them are women and half of them are men. And the men will all become priests and the women won't. Now, I don't think this has anything to do with gender. Obviously, we're all made in the image of God, male and female. He made them. But God is using this picture that in the households of the priests, half can never eat of the holy things and half can. It just parallels the, the parable of the ten virgins. And so this picture of them, of every male among the priests being able to eat of it, it's this picture that even the elect are blessed by these offerings. But those who aren't elect, those who will never be priests, they're not. The priests are blessed by the offering. But God is setting it up so only those who will be priests, which has to be the picture of the elect, they're the ones that are allowed to eat of it. So the blessing of the trespass offering is for those who will become priests or those who are priests. It's not for the other half of the family. They don't receive the true blessing of the trespass offering. So those who are not yet old enough to be priests themselves, after all, you couldn't be a priest until the age of 30, they still receive a blessing from the trespass offering. So God uses people confessing their sin. God uses people turning away from their sin that even so the elect see it. And that's part of the means that God uses to draw people to him. It's even the elect, those who are not yet saved. They can see the effect of, of God's word in the world, the effect of the Holy Spirit cleansing, <clears throat> cleansing in the world. They can see that, and that's what they use. So that's one of the means God uses to bless them. They receive the blessing of being able to eat of the trespass offering. So every male among the priests may eat of it. All of them can be blessed of it. If you're carnal, if you're not being knitted together to be a child of God, the trespass offering is only for superficial cleansing. For the elect, whether called or not, God still lets them partake of it to have real spiritual effects. But it has to be eaten in a holy place. They had to eat in a place that was dedicated to God. And I don't think this is in the tabernacle. This would be in the courtyard of the tabernacle. 
the grounds of the tabernacle, a place that was a clear separation from the world. You know, when we see someone convicted of their sin, they wake up with a hangover from having gotten drunk and they feel awful. They swear they will never drink again. We shouldn't expect that to have an effect on us because it wasn't in a holy place. It wasn't connected to the word of God. It's when we place it in the context of God, when we think about it and what God is doing, and we look at it and say God has ordered it so that they would have a consequence of sin, that this is all about the mercy of God, that the person woke up with a hangover after rebelling against God by getting drunk. (coughs) That's what causes that that mercy, that should cause us to look at our own sin and say, we need to turn from our own sin because it's having negative consequences just like the drunkard. If we don't put it in a holy consequence or in a holy context, it's not going to cleanse us. It's when we put it in a holy context, when we put it in the, the context of thinking, what is God doing here? That's when we grow by it. That's when we're strengthened by it. That's when we're nourished by it. It's only when it's eaten in a holy place that we actually find nourishment. If we just consider it in a worldly sense, we should not expect to be blessed by it. It's when we put it in the context of saying, what is God doing here? What is God doing in the world? Why do these carnal things have this effect? That's how we're strengthened by it, by eating of the trespass offering. So it is most holy, again, this is a most holy offering. Like other things that are considered most holy, like the inward parts of the tabernacle, the grain offering, the sin offering, the altar burnt offering, the most holy things are related to those things about coming into the presence of God. The trespass offering is most holy because it's about being cleansed from sin. <coughs> Hebrews twelve eleven through 13 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may be dislocated, but rather be healed. May not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's what we're supposed to think of with the trespass offering is God is, is sanctifying people. God is cleansing people in the world so that we remember we need to turn from our sin because without holiness, no one will see God. And so God produces holiness in all those who believe in him because without holiness, no one will see God. A sin offering is not enough. God causes those who believe to also make a trespass offering and not just a sin offering. So the trespass offering is like the sin offering. So it's interesting that God would say that these two offerings are alike. They are in terms of how they're eaten. But again, he's making the point. The sin offering is a picture of salvation. The trespass offering is a picture of sanctification. But we shouldn't think these things are separate, that they're distinct. They are in a sense, but they're not in another sense. So often people might think that they're just being sanctified and they're really being saved. It's really justification. And other times they they might think that they <coughs> they aren't, that they are being saved, and all it is is God's cleansing them. So the two are very connected together and can be very hard to distinguish. The priest who's making the offering, the result to him is to be the same in both cases. 
He's supposed to look at the sin that the person is coming and repenting of and saying, how do I sin the same way? How should I be cleansed in the inward parts? How should I be strengthened by this? How should I see the glory of God in this? How should I turn from my sin because of this? So the blessing on the true priest is the same for both. God is strengthening us by confronting us in our sin so that we turn from our sin. So we can be strengthened in our walk by seeing how we sin in similar ways. So there's one law for them both. The moral law is the same for both. The standard that confronts us with our righteous condemnation to hell is the same law that causes us to repent and turn from particular sins particularly. It's not like there's two standards of judgment. There is one law, one lawgiver. And because of that, both of them are pictures of, and so we should both be confronted with either one of them. When you lead somebody to, to believe in Jesus Christ, you should look at their sin and you should say, how do I sin this way? What, what still aspects of, their, of this sin is still in my life? And if you just advise somebody and talk to somebody or confront somebody in their sin so that they repent of their sin, even as a believer, you should still look and say, how do I apply this sin to my life? Where is it in my life that I should be rooting it out in my life? So the sin offering or the trespass offering to the priest, they're the same because both of them are a confrontation to say, where is this sin in my life? So the priest who makes atonement with it, the one who dealt with the sin, they're the ones who through, worked through the repentance from that sin with the person, the person who made the trespass offering, whether a believer or an unbeliever. And so they receive the biggest benefit of it. They have it. They receive it. They receive the animal. You know, as with the other offerings, they were to share it with the other priests. But it's an important picture. That when you evangelize and someone makes a profession of faith and confesses their sin, or you confront a professed Christian, whether they're saved or not, in their sin, when they repent, when they declare their sin, you receive the primary blessing. The person, if they're truly saved, obviously they receive the blessing. But as the person working it, it's not other people that hear about it. It's you that receive the primary blessing of seeing them turn from their sin so that you can be confronted in your own sin, of seeing the conviction that comes upon them so that you can have that conviction come upon you. The priest receives the blessing, the one who leads them in the situation. They're the ones who receive the blessing. And yes, you're supposed to share it with others. You're supposed to talk to others about it. But recognize you are the one that's primarily strengthened when you witness to somebody and lead them to Christ. When you confront somebody in their sin, from the, from the church's side, the one who is strengthened is you. And too often we can go through these things and just ignore what God is doing. But God gives us these things so that we can see our own sin and we can be strengthened. And yes, you're not supposed to keep it to yourself. You're supposed to share it with others so that they can also be strengthened in their walk. Verse 8. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering... That priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. So the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering. This is a blessing for the priest who does the work of offering the burnt offering. Remember for the burnt offering, the person making the offering would skin the animal. They'd cut it in pieces. Then the priest would still have to set the wood up on the altar. He'd have to place the burnt offering on the wood. 
He'd have to take fire from another burnt offering after placing everything in order so it will burn. And then he'd have to take that coals from another burnt offering and cause that to light the next one. So they had real work. You know, in many ways, more work than they had for the sin offering or the trespass offering because they'd have to keep it burning so that it got hot enough to burn the bones, which requires a very hot fire. But they don't get all the meat. They don't get all the food from the burnt offering. All that the priest shall have for himself, what he receives for it, is just what was left, which is the skin. The skin of the burnt offering, that's what they received. And again, remember that the the burnt offering is the picture of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. We're to preach that atonement. We're supposed to declare to others that there's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. It's not through anybody else. It's not through any priesthood. It's not through any religious practices. It's not through walking in self-righteousness. The only way you can come to the Father is through the Son. And when we declare the substitutionary atonement of Christ, when we declare that Christ is the only way to be saved, what we receive from that is effectively the skin. That's what's left. But think of the value of the skin. It's the picture of covering. It's the picture of warmth. It's the picture of protection. This would be, you know, the the skin of a bullock has has value to it. And so the picture is that when we preach... Christ, when we preach him crucified, when we preach the need to believe and trust in that that finished work of Christ, that's when we feel stronger. That's when we feel covered. That's when we feel protected by the blood of Christ. If we never witness to men, we should never expect to feel anything but naked. It's when we witness to men that we feel the covering of Christ, when we declare these things. Because we've been it's been given to us so that we declare it. And so when you preach the gospel, the comfort is not that somebody makes a profession of faith or somebody doesn't make the profession of faith. The blessing is we're reminded where our protection comes from. We're reminded where our hope comes from. We're reminded where our our covering is. It's from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we preach these things, that is a great blessing. And too often we can look for the people's response is the blessing. That's not the blessing. The blessing is that we had an opportunity to preach it, the opportunity to declare that through Jesus Christ, people can be saved. That's how we get covered. That's how we have the the skin. It is God's responsibility what he does on the inside of the person. We have nothing to do with that. But we do have the blessing of being reminded that it was Christ who was our substitute. And then verses 9 and 10. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to the sons of Aaron, to one as much as, as the other. So again, the grain offering is connected to the blessing from the other offerings. It starts with also. All these things are tied together. They're not separate. They're not distinct. Even when you made offerings, you had to make other offerings at the same time to show how they're all, they're all integrated. It's not like there's one that's completely separate from the other ones. You can't make a, a sacrifice of a burnt offering without a grain offering because the grain offering is the picture of the word of God, and that's how Christ, Christ is the word. All these things tie together. 
So the priests, and again, the priests who do the work, they also receive the greatest blessings from the work. So every grain offering, there were offerings of grain that were prepared and offerings of grain that were raw offerings where you just offered the grain. And the rules for the two are different in how they're blessings to the priests. Every grain offering that's baked in the oven, this would be like what we would consider a loaf, like what we have for the Lord's Supper, where it's mixed together with oil and baked. This is where the word of God is labored over. The picture of the the grain is the word of life, the word of God. It's mixed with the oil, which is the picture of the Holy Spirit. And so they would mix that together and they would form a loaf and they would bake that loaf and it would be broken into pieces and they would burn a memorial of it on the altar when the people came to offer it. But the priests are the ones that were to consume it. So that's the first kind, this picture of of, uh, the word of God that's prepared. So this is the picture of like a sermon. And then there's what's prepared in a covered pan. So this is where the bread was mixed with oil and was put more like in a stew pot. It was cooked in a deeper pot. And again, when I talked about this the first time in Leviticus 2, I think this is a picture of how the Word of God works out in the world, how it's the practice of it in our lives. As it says in Hebrews 5, that it's through use that we're able to discern good and evil. This is a picture of this offering, where it's cooked, where it's stewed, where it's where the two are together and they're... They're, it's not prepared. It's not that you're thinking about it. It's not that you're putting together a sermon. It's that you're living it. You're seeing it in your life. Or a pan. So this would be like a pancake where it's baked quickly, not like the work of a loaf of bread where you would put it together and then bake it. It's where you quickly fry it in a pan so that it's done quickly. Kind of like taking the scriptures and applying it advising somebody in a particular situation and saying, okay, this is how the word applies in this situation. That's a, the picture of those three different kinds of, of prepared offerings where it's not just the raw grain. And so when they do that and they break off that memorial part and burn it for God, the rest of it is the priest who offers it. The person who is the one who takes it and offers it to God when a believer or unbeliever hears the word, excuse me, whenever he, anybody makes it. So you can have an unbeliever that prepares a sermon and preaches a sermon. The priest still is to receive that sermon. If it's mixed with the Holy Spirit, if there's truth in it, he's still strengthened by it. He still consumes it. He still eats it. It's not by the power of the preacher that sermons change you. It's by the power of the word of God and the spirit of God. That's how, how people get changed. And so it's the picture of the priest who receives the offering. Whether it's, whether it's the, the loaf that has been prepared or whether it's the, the life experience. When you deal with things in your life, do you say, what is God doing here? What is God teaching me from, my, from his word? What is God showing me how I should now live? That's how we're strengthened by it. When God takes his word and takes his, the oil of the Holy Spirit and applies it. Or even when you hear advice. Are you strengthened by the advice? When somebody gives you, you say, here's a problem I have. What should I do? And somebody says, here's what the word of God says about that. It's to the one who receives the offering. They're the ones who get strengthened by it. But only if they take the word affected by the spirit 
that they're changed. So this is for the priests. This is for priests, those who believe. This is what God does with it. This is how he uses his word and his spirit. And so when you take advice, how do you respond to it? Do you say, what is God telling me through this? When you hear a sermon, do you say, what is God teaching me through this? Or do you say, I'm hearing from a man and not from God? The priests take it, the word, the grain, and the oil, and say, this is from God. What is God teaching me with this? So then every grain offering. So this is when raw grain is offered. So this is the picture of the word of God without preparation, whether it's mixed or with oil or dry. So whether it's the picture of being mixed with oil is it's given to you mixed with the Holy Spirit or the person who's just reciting the word of God without any love of God or any mixing of the Holy Spirit. It's still to be used by the, it still belongs to the sons of Aaron. That's the picture that we've been received the word of God and the word of God is powerful. The word of God is nourishment. The word of God is how we have life. It doesn't need to be prepared by somebody else. Every believer has to be able to handle the word of God. They have to be able to deal with the word of God. It belongs to the sons of Aaron. So again, it's not talking about it belonging to the priests. It's talking about it belonging to the sons of Aaron which is a picture of the elect. The word of God is effective to the elect, whether they're priests yet or not. That's how God brings them to salvation. It's the picture, and I think it's Ezekiel 33, the valley of dry bones, where the word is preached to people who are dry bones. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. There is no life in them. And God uses his word to knit together the bones, to put them together. But he only does that for the house of the true Israel the house of the people that are saved. That's the picture. The grain offering, the word of God is effective for salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the picture of the grain offering being for all the sons of Aaron. It's for all the elect because it will strengthen the elect so that they turn and believe. And it will strengthen the believer so that he walks in the way that he should walk. To one as much as the other. This is really important to understand. The word of God is not just given to the leaders of the church. It's not just given to the elders. It's given to the, to the five-year-old who's a believer, to the 90-year-old who's a believer. It's given to everyone who believes. That's who the word of God is for. For the one as much as the other, it's for every believer to handle. There is no priestly class that's supposed to decide what the word of God means. It's given to everybody. The grain, offer is shared, the grain offering is shared equally. <coughs> among the children of or the sons of Abraham upon this picture of the elect the word was given the special revelation of God was given for those who are his and those who would be his let me give you <coughs> some applications first is the trespass offering is a picture of Romans 8:23 if you live according to the flesh you will die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's why the trespass offerings are a blessing to the priest. Because it's a reminder. When you witness to somebody who's who's an unbeliever, you're supposed to look at it and be reminded, I need to put to death the works of the flesh. When you rebuke somebody in the church for their sin, you're supposed to be reminded, I need to put to death the works of the flesh. 
this is this is why the trespass offerings are a blessing. It's so easy when you deal with something like church discipline to think about them being over there, but that's not the point. The point is is that we're reminded of the sin that we have to deal with the sin. Every time we've done church discipline here, it's caused people in this church and hopefully everyone in this church to be confronted and say, where do we do the same thing? Not just what are they doing, but recognize how easy it is for us to do the same thing. As God says in Hebrews Hebrews 12, verse 11, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's what we're supposed to do when we see somebody else turning from their sin is to be trained by it so that we don't have to be beaten by God. We don't have to be scourged by God. God gives us the blessing of the trespass offering. Like when you have two children and they're misbehaving and one's misbehaving worse than the other and so you spank the one. It usually causes the other child to stop misbehaving because they don't want to go the same path. That's the trespass offering. That's the priest's blessing of the trespass offering is that they see it, they see the judgment on the one person that says, how am I doing the same thing? Make sure you, when you deal with somebody's sin that you don't just deal with their sin, but you use it as an opportunity to put to death the sin in your own flesh. So that you chasten yourself so that God doesn't need to chasten you. You know, general comment, all of the offerings are for a blessing to the true priests, the true people of God. It's important to take these and remember what it says in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what all these offerings are. The blessings that the priests receive from all these offerings, they're all about the same thing. They're about being cleansed. They're about being sanctified. They're about coming nearer to God, nearer to Christ, being conformed to the image of his son. That's what they're for. And that's what they work together for. So God laid all these things out so that we could have a picture of how these offerings are supposed to be a blessing to the people of God, to those who truly believe And when people make false professions of faith, it's easy to think this is terrible for the church. But I can look back and I see people who wandered from the the church and it was terrible for them. But I can also remember real ways that they blessed the church before they left. And so it's easy to look and say, why did God have them make false professions of faith? But yet God used them in his church and strengthened his church and gave more people in the church to do the labor of the church. So that later when they're found out to be a false believer, God still blessed the church through them. We should never forget that God blesses the church through false professions of faith and not just through real professions of faith. So where it's very bad for the person who made a false profession, it's still a blessing to the church when that sin offering is made. And that's true for all of these. When when somebody turns from their sin and they confess it, even though later they run to their sin, It causes the people in the church to consider it and say, we need to turn from our sin. God causes all these things to work together to be a blessing to his people. Yeah, the work of the church is to do the work of Christ. And the work of Christ is to destroy the work of the devil. 
And so even when people make false professions, even when somebody who's an unbeliever and proves himself to be an unbeliever later, they confess their sin, they turn from their sin, you see the effect of it in their life, God still uses it to strengthen the church, even though in the end they go to hell. The church is still strengthened because that's how God has ordered it, so that the true priest would be blessed by these things. The elect would be blessed by these things, regardless of what happens to the false believer. Because the works of the devil are destroyed. So another application, it's a good thing when others confess sins. Because we're to be cleansed by it. As Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may fear. That's the picture of these offerings. That's the picture of the trespass offering. Is that you catch somebody in sin, they confess their sin, they turn from their sin so that the rest of the, so that the priest who is involved, they all see it and they are cleansed. Fear falls upon them so they turn from their sin. When you see sin, don't just say, well, I'm glad that I didn't do that. Instead, always say, how do I do something like that? Maybe not the same degree, but how do I do something like that? That's the blessing of having repentance in the church. It's the blessing of having sin in the church. As he calls the church to see, how are we doing the same thing and we're closing our eyes to it? It's the blessing of how God cleanses his church by causing scandals to happen in the church so that people turn from their sin and are confronted by it. And related to that, or really part of the same thing, is that confession during our corporate prayer times, it's really easy when we gather and we pray Wednesday nights and we have time for confession to go, oh, I'm just going to confess very generally. But remember, when you confess your sins, other people are confronted by that sin. Other people say, how do I do the same thing? It's easy when you're thinking about it to go, and I'm not saying every sin could be, should be confessed, but I am saying there's plenty of records in the scriptures about people confessing their sins. And the reason David talks about his sins and talks about how God is judging him and how he has to repent is so that we read that and it becomes a trespass offering to us so that we cleanse ourselves where we, we see the same thing that David did in our own lives. And so Sunday, Wednesday nights when we gather and we have prayer times and we confess our sins, remember that when you confess your sin, you're helping cleanse the church because that's how it works. That's the point. One of the points of the trespass offering is when you confess your sin, that other people hear and other people go, how do I sin the same way? I think frequently we fail to confess our sins like we should confess our sins because they don't cleanse each other, but that is a way to make the church stronger. Another application we should always remember, we should always remember Christ came to destroy sin, to destroy the works of the devil. And he starts with his people. His effect is much broader than that. There's people who make sin offerings that don't come to salvation. There are people making false professions of faith. There are people who make trespass offerings that they don't do it out of love for God. They do it out of hatred for their sin. But in all of it, Christ's work is being furthered because he came to destroy sin. He was manifested to destroy our sin first, but he came to destroy the works of the devil. And so we should remember that, that 
that when somebody turns from their sin, it's a blessing, even if they're not a believer. But how much more should it confront us so that we look at our sin and we figure out what sin we should be putting away? We see how we're doing the same thing. We should look and see the sanctification of the world around us and see that that's the work of Christ. And then look and say, how am I failing to do it? Another application, the church should hold its member to a higher, members to a higher standard than the people who are outside. You know, when we think of the trespass offering, it's so easy to, to think, oh yeah, and I've had many people at many different churches tell me this. Christ is so merciful that he forgives us our sins so that the standard inside the church is less than the standard outside the church. That is so contrary to the word of God. It is absolutely contrary to the word of God. Those who have been given much will, from them, much will be expected. That's the word of God. And so as you've had sin revealed to you through God's word, through the confrontation of God's word, the people in the churches should always be holier. There's a higher standard. We should expect the world as slaves of sin to sin. But as Christians, we should expect a higher standard of ourselves and of others. You know, people say, well, you should just forgive in the church because God, Christ is merciful. But the right answer is we should forgive in the church because Christ is merciful and his mercy is so great that he turns you from your sin and he does not just leave you in his sin so that he can be both just and merciful. And so when we, when we see it in the church, we should, we should have an expectation of a higher, of a holy people a people who are set apart to God, a people who God is not ashamed to say, you are my people. And we say, you are our God. Another application. Are you making the trespass offerings that you should make? Are you putting to death sin in your life? Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Christ, he was made manifest to cleanse us of our sin. That's what he is doing. So what are you doing? Are you mortifying the flesh? Are you being separate from the world? Are you searching the scriptures so that they can be the light to your feet? So you can turn from sin? Are you, are you taking that raw grain of the grain offering and using it in your life so that you can have life and strength and walk in righteousness? Sin is destruction. Sin is death. If you're not killing it, it's killing you. Are you killing it in your life? Are you offering the trespass offerings you should make? Another application, are you preaching the gospel as you should? To those around you who do not believe, recognize this is a means to strengthen your own faith. This is a means to remember what Christ did for you. To remember how you are covered by the finished work of Christ how reliant you are on Christ, that it was Christ who changed you in the inward parts, not you. There was nothing you could do. Christ was the one that had to do it. When we think that we can just stand aside and not preach Christ to those who are around us, we forget how, Christ, how important Christ is to us, how, Christ, how important Christ is to believers. So preach the word, speak of the gospel, declare the truth, have a greater vision of hell so that you're concerned about people going there. Because it is truly an unbelievably 
bad place beyond what any man can comprehend way beyond god gives us taste like if you burn yourself he gives you a taste of how bad it is but that's just a taste because it's in every dimension not just one not just the dimension of pain so think about that when you see your neighbor and declare christ because it will help you too you'll get covered you'll feel the the protection that you have in christ Another application, are you consuming the prepared word of God? Are you listening when you hear a sermon, not expecting to be nourished by the person who is making the offering, but to be nourished by the word and the spirit that is in the offering? You can listen to a bad sermon, but if Christ is there, if the Holy Spirit's working in it, God can still convict you through the the sermon that the man that prepared it was horrible. But the sermon that was preached still convicted you because the word and the, the spirit had power. So are you consuming the prepared word of God the way that you should? Another picture of that is do you listen to advice? Do you ask questions and then actually say, what does God's word say about this? And if the person gives you advice, do you look at it and do you say, "What is this what God said? Is this the word and the spirit? And you see how great of a blessing that is. We're supposed to apply God's word to every aspect of our life. Right? Second Timothy 3 says that it thoroughly prepares every man for good works. And so when we think about it, do you, do you take it or do you just walk on and say, oh, yeah, that's advice, but I can ignore it? Or do you actually, are you blessed by it and strengthened by it? And do you say, is this what God's word says? And the other thing is you see the Spirit of God and the Word of God working out in your life. Do you see it with what happens with your daily daily life? Do you see the pictures that God has put in it, your Word, put in His Word, playing out in your lives? That's what we're supposed to see. God has made it so that we're able to discern good and evil through use. So we put it into practice. But you'll only be strengthened by it as if you're looking at it and saying, what is God doing here? What is God trying to teach me here? What am I supposed to learn from this? That's how you grow and strengthen in the Lord. And then the last application, are you, are you eating the grain of God's word? Are you, are you consuming his word for yourself? And are you taking the raw word of God and use it? It's to be your life. It is the bread of life. Man does not live by, the, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is that how you treat God's word? Because in it is life. Let me close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, I do thank you for this passage. I thank you that you are a God who does write history for those who love you and those who are the called according to your purpose. That's who all things work together for good for. And even as we think of the priests and the blessings that they receive from these offerings, let us see the spiritual pictures that these things were physical pictures of. <coughs> Even as we see the physical pictures, let us not be swallowed up by them. Instead, let us see how they apply to us now. For these things were given to us as shadows and types so that we could understand what they're like in the new covenant. Lord, let us rightly divide your word and rightly see how it applies now. And let us see the power of your ways, that you had them do these things for over a thousand years so we could recognize the pictures so that we could walk in them. Lord, cause us to be faithful to walk in them. In your name we pray. Amen.